what is the most hated movement in all of CrossFit? Me personally? Well, yeah, I guess I could have made that a little more clear because there's all sorts of types of hate. Communication skills. (laughs) What movement gets the most hate? Well, one of them we've already talked about is the sumo dive type that gets a lot of hate. The other one I think is the med ball clean. People just really like to poo poo on the med ball clean. Why do you think that is? Because they think it's goofy. They're like, why are you doing this when you could just go to a barbell? Do you think that's what it is? Do you think that's what it comes down to? I think so. I mean, I just, I think people think it's a silly idea. How come I don't think there's like I've never heard like a legitimate argument against it other than just like somebody's opinion that it's stupid. Right. I guess and and hearing you say it like that, I'm thinking to myself, how come other movements don't get the same hate as the men ball clean? You know, for example, the devil's press has become this like movement that everybody loves. It's like, oh, angels, you know, shine down on the devil's press. But really it's like, okay, hey, why don't you do a burpee and then do a clean and jerk? That's a devil's press. Right. Exactly. Like, so my point is, as you're saying that, I'm like, all, the med ball clean gets all this hate because you can do it with the barbell. But just about any movement that's been created since 2011 is just somebody taking a normal barbell movement and changing it. Correct. So the med ball clean needs to stop getting hated on. I would agree. I, well, I don't. Let's let's talk about it. Let's. So how do we stop people from hating the med ball clean? I think it starts a with, I think there's two things. One, the people that hate on it, give them a medicine ball clean workout and show them how much it will smash them. So just the, the physical stimulus is one. It's hard to match to be honest with you. Every time I do, I mean, cause here's the reality. It's, it's a light load. So it's not often that you go low rep on the med ball clean. Like you're, no, if you have med ball reps. Yeah, if you have med ball clean in a workout, you're probably at a minimum doing 75. Typically, I think you would see them in in something that looks like 25 to 50 reps programmed in in a in like one set. In one set, right? I've done. I remember one of the last times I did was a 50, 40, 30, 20, 10 med ball cleans, and then I think it was calorie row. So it's like that's the that's 150, and there's other workouts. So I mean, there's very few movements that can mess you up quite as well as the med ball clean. And it's that fast, aggressive double squat, especially if you're doing it right. Yeah. It's a double squat, which I think is the real, and and the it's high intensity because you can move faster. So I'm getting that double squat, but I'm doing them very, very quickly. So in a barbell, I'm typically moving slightly slower. So the, the effect doesn't hurt nearly as much. Well, and on a barbell, I'm not going to have a set of 50 squat cleans. Like that's, you like very rarely going to see that. Right. And in a typical air squat, you can really let gravity do the work for you on the way down. And while you can on the med ball clean, oftentimes you're trying to, you have to beat the ball down and you're also trying to land in a more solid squat because you have this load, you know, be it 20 or 14. So you can't just lag, you know, land like a pile of dog poo. You got to land pretty solid. Yeah. Now, Let's just get to brass tacks. Here's why I think people hate the med ball clean. Wow, let's hear it. What does that mean, brass tacks? Let's get down to it, to point to the point. 
You don't even know what that means. And whoever in our mentor group puts a fernism up. That is, a, that is an actual phrase. I know it's a phrase, but typically when people use phrases, they know what it means. It means get to the point. But why? I understand you understand what it you means now. I understand. <laughs> but where did the expression brass tacks, how did that become get to the point? That That's I don't my... know. I do not know the genesis of the statement, but it, that does not mean I don't know what it means. Well, let's try to only use statements that we understand going forward and best hour of the day. <laughs> This is the <laughs> calling the kettle black. <laughs> All right, let's get down to brass tacks for and talk about why the bed book thing gets. I, I think most people do not like it and it gets hate on because people don't know how to teach it. Ooh. But do you so think people generally hate things they don't understand? But you think the average coach knows how to teach the snatch? I think they think they know how to teach the snatch. And nobody bothers to learn how to teach the med ball clean. So it's just this stupid, they're like, oh, that's dumb. And then fail to acknowledge the fact that it has a lot of utility. But then when we ask somebody to teach the med ball clean, generally does not go well. Right. And, and really, it should be one of the movements CrossFit coaches have the most confidence in because we give you a very specific progression at your level one and level two, you can find it online. There's plenty of videos floating around. You know, of I'm sure there's ones of us teaching it as well. But if we can get people to understand, hey, if you can coach that better, you can actually coach the barbell better. Well, there's also some inherent things that the med ball will force that the barbell might not and typically will not. So for instance, because it's an odd object and I can't, tip like i can't actually bring it close to my body it's just inherently forward of the forward the the center of mass of the med ball is naturally forward of the frontal plane it forces me to learn how to move my elbows kind of back and around where if i just do that that curl with a barbell like i can kind of get away with that without having as much deviation from the frontal plane but with the med ball clean that gets exacerbated so i think you can really teach some good mechanics with the med ball clean because in order to do it properly, you have to do it right. You know, you have to, if we think about what should happen with the elbow, once I get to a full extension, when I start to pull underneath, when it's done correctly, the elbow should pull behind the rib cage and then underneath into a front rack position where if I just do a curl, the elbow will stay glued to the rib cage and my hands will just move forward. But with a barbell, I can kind of get away without doing that really well because it's, closer to the frontal plane what do you say to the people that would then say well because it's light you can get away with bad form and never really learn how to do it well well that's just as ridiculous as somebody who says i need heavy weight to do this right i actually had a conversation about that this past weekend at a level two and yeah you know you hear that a lot and they said well what do you tell athletes and let's talk about that for a moment. You know, people take their level one and level two, and we work with PVC for hours. And often, every weekend, someone will inevitably say, well, just give me some weight, and I can do this right. What's your, what's your response? So, well, first, we have to define what we're talking about. What, what, what we're not talking about is somebody who's physically limited in mobility. So we're not talking about somebody who physically cannot put the, the – barbell in the front rack like we know there's just people that just cannot get into that position they're just restricted for whatever number of reasons what we are talking about is people who are maybe going through a snatch progression like we would do at the level one course and 
consistently pulling early on the PVC pipe. So bent elbows before we get to extension and which to which people would say, well, if I, if I have a little weight on the bar, then I won't pull early with my elbows, which is probably not true. We already know that. But my contention is always, if you need weight to not do something incorrectly, then you don't understand the mechanics of the movement. Absolutely. And if you are relying on weight to make you move better, that just shows your deficiency. Yeah. You know, so the, go ahead. The, the, more you, the more weight you need to move better, the worse you actually move. It's and like the further you are. That's probably not an accurate statement anyway. Like if we were to actually watch you load yourself is typically, and we know based on intensity that mechanics break down as we either a go faster, add more volume or add more load. Like typically to some degree, maybe it will potentially force somebody into a better position, but that's not them being in a better position. Like that's an outside force putting, forcing them into a better position. Maybe. Right. And then eventually like you, you're alluding to at some point, it doesn't matter your form is going to go because it's too heavy. Exactly. So that, that's, a, that's a, a real kind of like, it's just a, this rabbit hole that people like to, to, to punt out there just as an excuse to not get better at a movement. Well, I just need more weight. I'm like, that's literally never the case. So, so let's dive back into the medicine ball clean. What'd you, what were your first thoughts? I mean, you probably got introduced to it like I did via CrossFit, maybe even at your level one. What were your first thoughts? I was like a lot of people. I was, I felt the same way about, I felt the same way about the med ball clean that I felt about the Sumidov type on the push jerk, which is I generally genuinely wanted to avoid it because I was extremely deficient at teaching it. I'm looking at it more from just a movement perspective. Like I never thought anything of it because I found this CrossFit thing and I was like, cool, this is one of the movements we do. Well, that's one of the movements that you, we could probably all agree like did not exist prior to CrossFit. Like most other things we know, like CrossFit didn't invent the push-up or the squat or the muscle-up. Like they were existed. CrossFit created the methodology. But the med ball clean, I'm pretty sure, was not a thing. I'm sure people were, you know, obviously cleaning out objects or maybe sandbags, but no one actually classified it as this is a specific movement. Yeah. And, you know, I think the part of the reason people – dislike it is because we classify it as one of our nine foundational movements but keep in mind with those nine foundational movements the point is that they lend themselves to so many other movements so if you're getting better with the you know we can be very specific and, and say okay instead of the med ball clean it's a clean and jerk but we're saying hey the med ball clean will lend itself to the clean and jerk as well as other movements out there as well as just get people generally prepared for life correct and it's yeah. And I, and again, I think the way we discuss it at the, at the level one course is that, you know, we're using this because a, you can typically get lighter than a barbell. So factoring this people that a barbell is not in the cards, they just not prepared to start moving a barbell. And some people might scoff at that, like who can't move an empty barbell? Well, plenty of people we see them all the time. Or it's intimidating for them, even if they can move it. Yeah. So think about your soccer mom who's never touched a weight in her life the med ball clean is a probably a better option. And I can get, I can get the lightest med ball they make is four pounds. Like I have a bunch of those in my gym and we use them all the time. So you can buy those lighter med balls and I can really hammer the technique 
and then slowly start progressing on the load. So I can go from four to six to eight to 10, 12 to 14. And then eventually I get to a 20 and then could even go at that point, which I can do a 20 pound med ball or even a 14. Now I can, now it's a safe assumption that like moving to a training bar, whether it be 15 or 25 pounds is, is feasible. Um, but it doesn't change the mechanics of the movement. And I, that's always the kind of weird that's that that's what always been weird to me is like why why not have the med ball clean like i don't have to worry about like this super high elbow front rack position it's not a heavy enough load that i have to worry about like realistically any sort of safety issues you know like nobody's gonna blow out their back with a four pound med ball you know and i think because of everything you're saying it actually is an easier movement to develop movement pattern you know you hand someone a 15 pound training bar their first time cleaning they're definitely not going to open their hips like a hundred percent certain there's no hip extension, but the med ball clean, it's light enough that I can get them to stand up and still pull under and be like you said, we don't have to worry about this rack. So you can still catch the ball where if you don't pull under fast with a barbell, I mean, you, you see people, your wrists will get stuck. You're just not going to get your elbows through. They're not going to know how to loosen their grip on the bar. So the med ball clean allows that big hip extension, but then still allows them to get into a solid receiving position. Yeah. And it's also one of those things where if I can, if I can teach that speed of pulling down absent of load, like I can, I can isolate that particular aspect of the movement where, so where somebody doesn't have to worry about the weight because typically when you're learning those movements, it's hard to pair two pieces together, which is, Hey, I have to, get my elbows around quickly, move my feet and pull underneath the ball, which is like, I don't really have to worry about the weight. I can kind of get, and the beauty of the med ball clean is you can get your hands completely wrong and it's not really going to be a big issue. Right. That's my point. The, bar, the barbell is going to be problematic if the hands are wrong. So I can just focus on just pulling underneath with absent of like that front rack position, but also like absent of load. So I can really isolate the pulling underneath. So let, let's dive into it. We were at the level one. We, we teach the medicine ball clean every weekend. There's a very specific progression associated with it. Let's, yep. let's talk about the progression. Let's talk about what you and I look for in each step of the way and yep. give people listening, hopefully, an, an avenue to become a better medicine ball clean you know, coach, if you will. But then also let's throw out a little workout at the end to challenge our listeners. Okay. And we'll give a little prize away. So Got it. step one of the progression deadlift so we we just say literally deadlift we've gone through the deadlift we've gone through the sumo deadlift at this point so feet are just outside the ball hands on the side of the ball deadlift or stand whatever word you look would you say to get them moving what's your if you if you had to say i'm looking for one thing during this step of the progression what are you looking for for the med ball clean specifically just that the arms stay long like i want straight arms because typically this is not a movement we teach first like it, it's it's a it's a third a second or third order movement so i'm gonna have taught probably the deadlift first just a, like a barbell deadlift but even if it is a deadlift or even if we're starting there on the deadlift and we're just we're gonna skip a pvc pipe i just want straight arms typically if i get somebody i think everybody's on board with a you know neutral spine is good thing like you typically just don't see a lot of you know rounded backs these days in the deadlift um so i'm just looking for straight arms like that's we're it when you say straight arms, where do you look to me when I have step one of this progression on the deadlift, I'm looking for a powerful hip extension. Are you assuming because we've already taught them to deadlift, you're going to get that? 
Well, uh, no, I'm not looking for powerful hip extension because it's weird to not extend your hips in a deadlift. I agree, but that's my focus. So I'll, I'll tell people, all right, we're going to deadlift. I do talk about arms. So I'll say, I want you to squeeze your butt as hard as you can. So now I know they're, I want them to really just <clears throat> feel that movement pattern. And then the other thing I'll typically say along with that is flex your triceps. I flex yeah. my triceps, keep so your arms the, long. Yeah, so I want the elbow locked out. So let me backtrack. So I'm going to get them to set up very quickly. And then we've talked about how quickly we want to try to get people into the deadlift. It's like straddle the ball, bend over, push your knees forward to your eyes and your chest are facing forward, stand up. And in that stand up, same thing I would do in the deadlift. I'm looking at primarily hips and shoulders like this. And typically this is going to be a squattier setup than the deadlift because the, I don't have to navigate the knees anymore. And the ball is typically lower than what a loaded, a loaded barbell would be if you're going to have your hands on it. So I'm looking for what does that setup look like? It's going to be a little bit squattier, meaning the hips are going to be slightly lower than they would be typically. And then from there are the hips and shoulders moving at the same rate. And then, yeah. I mean, and like you said, it's very, it would be highly unusual for someone not to stand up tall at the top of their deadlift. But for me, it's more about reinforcing. I need you to feel that hip extension. So as we move on to the next step and then ultimately the full movement, they're used to it. So, and I, do you have any other cues you might use for straight arms? I always, I like to make the joke, Hey, we wake up in the morning, we flex our abs, then we flex our triceps. Yeah, that's what I want you to think about. Flex your triceps. And again, that's an actionable cue. Like most people understand that that is extension of the elbow. It's like flex your triceps, keep them flexed the entire time. Yeah. And like coach Bergner says, when the arms bend, the power ends. So we want to keep those arms nice and long. So from there we go from step one being the deadlift step two to the deadlift shrug. Mm -hmm. Where are you specifically looking on that step of the progression? The only thing I'm worried about this portion is the sequence. I want exactly. them to stand up. I want to see hip extension or the butt squeeze and the, and the knees extend hard. And then I want the shoulders to shrug. That's the only thing I care about in this portion. And I'll tell people, I don't care if it's super segmented. I want to see squeeze shrug and I want to see it in that sequence and only in that sequence, squeeze shrug, squeeze shrug, squeeze shrug. Do you have them go a little slow at first or you write at full speed? Um, it's typically like normal speed. I won't typically give them a speed. I'll just say, I don't really care how fast you do it. I just want it to be squeeze shrug. The sequence is all I care about. There's a sequence right. that, that needs to happen that, that quarter extremity, if you will, hips, then shoulders. So from there, what are some of the major faults you might see going on during that step of the progression? A lot of shrugging early. So people will be shrugging before they extend the hips. When, when, you, when you say that, that's hard to see. Mm -hmm. So what do you look for specifically? to? So if a coach is listening to this, that, that's very tough because now we're moving fast. Eventually they will stand up. So it's like you have a millisecond to see that. What, what do you pick up on when, when someone's shrugging early? So, well, it's, I guess it's tough. Here's what I would say is like, first you need to see what it looks like done correctly. So this is where I would tell people slow it down. So typically I wouldn't necessarily put a speed on it, but if you want to see it done correctly, slow it down. So just go, Hey guys, we're going to make this very segmented. I want you to stand up. You're going to squeeze your butt and then you're going to shrug. And then we're slowly going to speed that up. And then typically what I'll see is if, if anybody, if you play an instrument, right? So regardless of how fast that transition happens from hips to shoulders, it's still a distinct one, two. So if it looks like a one and I, and there's no discernible kind of separation between extension of the hip and the shoulder, then it probably happened early. The chances are pretty high. 
Yeah, I think I, I like that. Slow. I mean, and really, that's a great fix for so many faults, right? Hey, slow down. Or like our new shirt says, do that, but, but better. better. Yeah. So, so no, I, I like that. We go from the deadlift shrug. Why do we then go to a front squat? So we go deadlift, deadlift shrug, front squat. But why? People often ask, well, why are we squatting here? What's your answer to that? We have to. We have to train and analyze the position that we're going to. It's like, what's the end state? Well, the end state is to catch in a squat. We have to see that squat absent of adding speed and pulling underneath it first. So I just want to see, like, can we see the things we want to see in the squat? Are we getting arch depth heels in that movement? And if not, I need to sort that out before I add, like, a more dynamic piece to this, which is, like, get to the top, shrug really, really hard, and then pull underneath as fast as you can into this front squat position. And that's exactly what I tell people. I'm like, hey, you're about to have them pull under a load, be it four pounds or 20. Let's make sure, you know, they don't look like a soup sandwich down there. Let's make sure they look solid. Yeah. Little known fact, at my level two, Santa Cruz, California, 2008, back then you had to teach two movements. And I had to teach the sumo della taipo and the medicine ball clean. And I went out of order on the medicine ball clean. I went pull under, then front squat. And the look of disdain I got from Nicole Carroll was all I needed to, to know to know I messed up. But I still passed, but I didn't know it's, it's probably the same look I got from all the red shirts when I messed up the progression at my internship. <laughs> um, that, that story still floats around, by the way. I mean, it's, uh, it should. I'm going to that, – that, I deserve that. <laughs> isn't, it, isn't it funny, like, how you, you learn things over there? I remember that night before I had to teach that, like, just studying the progression. Like, I couldn't remember three steps. You know, oh, I had a, I mean, I just had a panic attack. I was just, yeah. Like, and, and now it's like, you could wake me up in the middle of the night and be like, what's the progression for the similar deadlift typo? I'm like, oh, yeah. Deadlift, deadlift. You know, we've just said it so many times. Um, yeah. So, so you, you got to iron out the squat because then we're going to add speed to it, right? Because the next step is that shrug and pull under. So, so, so let's I just go. To... We have deadlift, deadlift, shrug, front squat. Final step before the full movement is shrug and pull under. Yeah. This is where, I think if you put the appropriate amount of focus, this is where you can get good movement. But this is also the part if we watch a med ball clean happen in a workout that gets, I don't want to say bastardized, but like this is the part that gets mailed in. So if you watch typically people in a med ball clean workout, there's one tempo. They stand up and then they pull underneath in a real lazy fashion. And it's this, it's like if in no way would they be able to do that with a barbell. Like if you're looking at the speed and tempo, like if that was a barbell, there'd be a massive problem here, but because it's light, they can get away with it. And because it hurts, people are, don't want to do it. So this is where you get to emphasize the pull under, which we need to do because all of those crappy reps on a, on a med ball clean will then transfer to less than ideal movement when I get to a barbell. So I want to enforce good movement. I, the, the analogy I always make is I tell people, I need you to pull under and catch this. Like it's your best clean. Yeah. You, know, you need to be that rock solid. Like if I took this ball from you and handed you, you know, 225, would you still be able to stand up? That's, that's how solid you need to be. So in this step, I mean, this is, I also refer to as kind of like the meat and potatoes of the, of the med ball clean is where the magic happens. What are you looking for? And what are some of the major faults you see? Two things um, that I'm particularly looking for. Um, there's three things that will typically happen. One of them I'll kind of put to the side and address later. That's bent elbows. So I'll kind of just 
check that box. I'll, I'll note it if I see it and I'll come back to it, but it's not my main focus. But the two things that I want to see is like, are they at the top of the shrug? And then are they actually pulling or are they falling? Right. So pulling and falling are two different things. We both know that, you know, objects fall at the same rate. So if I'm higher than the med ball, which I am, my shoulders are higher than the med ball at the top of that shrug and I fall, there's physically impossible for me to get underneath that load. So I want them to pull. So I want to shrug with straight arms and I want them to pull underneath as hard as they can, which most people don't understand what pulling is. So then we have to go through drills to get them to actually pull underneath. So what are some of the drills that you might use if someone is pulling early? Um, if they're pulling early with the arms? Correct. Yeah, I'll just pause them in that big shrug at the top, like for an extended period of time. You know, I'll just be like, hey, shrug, I'll pause. I'll immediately see that their elbows are bent. I'll tell them to bend to straighten the elbow and then I'll call it and then I'll call the next rep. But sometimes it's, you know, one of the questions I typically ask my groups are, you know, who can power clean more than they can squat clean. And usually, you know, 50% of the people can do that, which is a problem. Mm -hmm. I say, this is what you need to work on. This is, and you could do it with a barbell. You know, we refer to it as a tall clean, a tall clean. Yep. Right. So you can still do that, but people just, you know, they, like we've said earlier, they, they poo poo this med ball clean yet they can power clean more than they can squat clean, which means you're just lacking in this step of the progression. And again, going back to training the speed absent of the, of load. So the problem with the tall clean is there's a barbell there and, and some people struggle managing the barbell while just focusing on the speed, the med ball, that's much simpler to do. Cause I can, again, I can get really, really light loads. Um, and sometimes people just need a frame of reference like for what, like how fast they need to go. So there's a, I'm pretty sure there's a video on the, in the journal somewhere of this drill, but I use it pretty frequently and it only takes about one or two reps of this for people to understand, which is when you get to this point in the progression, I'll say, all right, you're going to get two commands. I'll say shrug. And then I'll say, go. When I say go, I'll have a, I'll have a PVC pipe in my hand. I'm going to drop the PVC pipe. Everybody should be in the squat before the PVC pipe hits the floor. You only have to do that for one or two reps before, because that instantly creates this sense of urgency. Like I have to go fast in order to beat this thing. And the reality is it's not really hard to beat it to the, to the, to the position if I pull, but simply having that frame of reference to say, Oh, I have to move faster than that. Okay. That, that changes things dramatically versus just like, Hey, be faster. We'll be faster than what be faster than a falling object. Yeah. And people always, they think they need to, like you've said, not open their hips to beat it. When in reality, a powerful hip extension will buy you more time to Correct. get under that object. Yeah. yeah. So, so at this point they've gone through the progression, they're at the full movement and the, the mo it's, it's funny how we see people like everything's going well, well, well. And then all of a sudden full movement, hip extension disappears. It, yeah, it is the thing that goes away. Like you know, you're coaching the med ball clean that should that could be your sole focus is like hip extension. So so let's let's dive into it. Let's let's talk about some of our favorite cues and let's break them up categorically: verbal, visual, and tap down. What okay. what what are some of your go to verbal cues when someone's not opening their hips? Squeeze your butt. Yeah, I mean that's really the most obvious. Get tall. Yeah. Right. Get tall, jump higher, squeeze your butt. I learned this from um, coach Wilkes years ago. Who's um, uh, Kane Wilkes is a Olympic, like literally an Olympian weightlifter, but I used to train in their garage years ago. And he like showed me this thing, which I bring up pretty regularly at seminars, which is it's 
anatomically impossible, meaning like it cannot be done. You cannot squeeze your butt cheeks with the flex tip angle. Right. So that's a, like a way to get people, that's a way to get people to coach themselves is, is if they're like, Hey, am I getting to extension? I don't know. You tell me, are you squeezing your butt? Cause if you're not squeezing your butt, you're not getting the hip extension because those two can't happen independently of each other. You know? So I, I find when someone's not opening their hips for me, tactile cues are probably the best that or slowing down going back to i'll do like a deadlift squeeze that butt as hard as you can now hit that position again so typically i would like try to go in a very quick succession of squeeze your butt then i'm going to show them hey your shoulder is way over here i want you to look like this and i'll exaggerate i'll typically tell them i want to i want them to pull their shoulders back more even though i don't actually want them to do that that'll probably just get them to extension and then lastly i'll use that tactile cue you know putting that hand behind the shoulder, having them pull back to that position. I'll tell you what, I don't love that cue. And I know it's kind of become like the go-to tactile cue for the med ball clean for a while. It was in the, you know, level one participant guide or maybe part of the test question, the uh, practice test questions. This happened, like, it's, it's one of those stories where like, what's the right cue, the one that works? I don't remember where, and I don't remember who it was, but I remember it was a level one. And it was a dude and he just couldn't open his hips. And I just walked up behind him. And on one of his med ball cleans, I had my hand on his shoulder, hand on his low back, and just like gave him a pop, you know, two different directions. And he was like, oh my God, I've never felt that before. (laughs) And you know, and and I didn't even think about it. I mean, in retrospect, it's probably a little dangerous. So you got to be smart with it. And I still use it to this day, but now I'll be smart enough to say, hey, on this next rep, I'm going to give you a little pop, go a little slower. And then you also need to be aware I'm not slamming their hips while slamming their shoulders and trying to break their back. But it's, you know, most people aren't missing hip extension by a foot. They're missing it by a half an inch. Well, the other, the other issue with it is you can get your shoulder back while not being at hip extension or not being at extension. So especially with a bent knee. With a bent, so that's where I was going. That is a bent knee. I can get my torso upright with a bent knee, which is also not extension. So you just have to be careful of that. Is like I'm going to give you this tactile cue, but I still have to have my eyes at a different position to verify that I actually get what I want. So I'm doing two things at once. I'm I'm waiting to sense that tactile cue while simultaneously visually checking the hip and the knee, which is also a benefit of doing the medicine ball. I wouldn't feel. A, I would have nowhere to really stand if someone was using a barbell. Correct. But also, I wouldn't want to hit somebody during the middle of a barbell clean, even if it was only 45 pounds. And just, you know, hip extension is very hard to see. It takes time. Um, A reference that actually Todd gave me, Todd has been on the show many times, um, is if you kind of look at them from the side and you imagine the frontal plane or even hold PVC there, Mm -hmm. you know, often we just look for hip extension. Are they getting tall? But you'll also notice... Lack of hip extension, like Fern just said, often includes knees forward of the frontal plane or butt mm-hmm. staying back. Yeah. So you have a few other options to look for if you really can't just tell if they've stood up tall again. Yeah, the, the knee is typically easier to see, um, but with the, with the caveat of it is possible to have hip extension with knee flexion, and it is possible to have um, – hip flexion with knee extension, what I would tell you is that like, they're both just very weird. It's weird to do them that in that sequence. Like you have to actually try to make those two things happen. So it can happen. Um, but typically when people struggle to see hip extension, I'll just move down a joint 
have them focus on the knee, at which point that becomes blatantly obvious that we're not getting into extension and now we can devise a plan. And again, now it gives me two body parts to talk to. I can talk to the hips. I can say, squeeze your butt, or I can say, you know, extend your knee, you know, flex your quad, you know, both, both actionable, both specific, uh, specific. Um, but I like the, the frontal plane reference. And then what I'll have people do sometimes is, and this is kind of like cheating. If people struggle with the frontal plane or like getting to extension, we may have talked about this before, but there's no shortage of straight lines in a gym. Right. You know, I can, we use have, but yeah. I, I, I can use an upright on a pull-up bar or something behind them or a door frame or a, or a rafter or a, something in the background. And I know that's a straight line. So if their body doesn't get lined up with whatever it is in the background, I know they didn't get to extension. What, what are your thoughts on this? One of the, one of the participants this past weekend at the level two, it was more in reference to, Hey, if I tell somebody, you know, as a female, and I think oftentimes females, have a, they don't have a harder time, but maybe it's a little more challenging for them to get some men to listen to them, you know? Yeah, it's a real scenario. I mean, I'm not, it's not right, but it's real. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, she said, what would you do if these people aren't listening? And I said, I'd video them and show them that they're stupid and doing it wrong. But interesting topic, but like, where do you fall in that in this scenario of, I can't tell, should I film it? I think there's a, I just think there's a stigma associated with, I can't see it. So I have to film it. But what's your opinion? I, I think there's a time and a place for it. I don't think it's in, I don't think it's incredibly practical. If, if I'm coaching a class with multiple athletes, you know, I don't want to have my phone, you know, waving around. Cause I, it's, it's, it's really hard for me to film something and coach it and pay attention to other people. True. So maybe not in a, in a class environment. Yeah, I'm definitely not saying it has no place. There's definitely a place for it. I can do things in slow motion. I can, I can pause. I can put, I can draw on it. There's a lot of utility to doing photos and film, probably not in a class though. But if you're trying to develop your eye, Hey, you know, film it, you can scrub it, slow it down and you'll, you'll see whether or not someone gets tall again. And you know, the example I would use is, I had a woman, Alice, at North Naples CrossFit, and we were doing, I believe, dumbbell snatches. Mm-hmm. And I was seeing that she wasn't opening it, but she just wasn't getting it. And then when I filmed her, showed it to her, it made sense to her. So you can use it as a coaching tool for yourself, but also as a coaching tool for your athletes. Yeah. So I don't I, think, I just don't think there should be, if you're trying to get better for your athletes, it's not a bad thing. Yeah. I also think, um, when people struggle to see the movement, it's, I think people are just on, they're all, they're stuck on maybe. And like part of your job as a coach is to get off maybe. And then, but cause what people, everybody kind of universally understands is good movement, right? They'll, like if you were to watch somebody do a, a movement, they did it well, people are like, people would pretty much agree like that was correct. So then to try to clean this up, then anything that's not that needs to be corrected, right? To make yeah. it very clean. Like, and, and this is the, the, the old adage, and I don't remember who I would attribute this to, but good movement is obvious. I said that. It definitely wasn't you. <laughs> if it came from a smart person. Um, but I don't remember who said it, but it, it definitely wasn't either one of us. Like we stole that term from somebody. It was just like, hey, good movement is obvious. Like good movement is obvious. It's just as obvious from 100 yards as it is five feet in front of me. So if it's not that, you might not understand like what's going wrong with it, but we know that it's not 
the good movement that we're looking for. Yeah, and, and I think a follow-up statement on that would simply be if there's doubt, there's no doubt, right? If you're unsure, like Fern is saying, you're unsure for a reason. And if you're unsure, even if all you do is say squeeze your butt, maybe you get a little bit better. I mean, there's nothing wrong with throwing a cue out, even if someone's doing it pretty well. You know, I, again, we, when you have level twos, you have lots of references. And this weekend, I coached the medicine ball clean as the group demo. And one of the participants specifically said, when Jason would tell someone to do something, I would naturally do it. And, yeah. and same thing, you know, if I tell Fern to squeeze his butt, even if he's already getting hip extension, chances are somebody else in the room is going to squeeze their butt harder. And that's a topic for another podcast, but we got to talk about empty reps at some point. And, and yeah. yeah, which is a – and but that, that very regularly happens in the med ball clean because people are not sure where to look or they're not sure what's going on or, this, or the, the, the classic, I don't know if it's going to work. And the reality is nobody knows if it's going to work. Like we don't know. Yeah. We don't know if it's effective until we put it out there and then get something back. You know, I always think, I always think about the Will Ferrell from the, what's the ice skating movie? Uh, Blades uh, of Glory. Blades of Glory. Yeah. Nobody knows what it means, but it's provocative and it gets the people going, right? Just like, just put the cue out there and then determine whether it changed the movement or not. So it's like the, the prerequisite of knowing whether this is going to be successful or not is, is not required because you can't, it's not a thing. You know, and, and here's what I'll tell people with well, the medicine book clean is complicated. It's dynamic. It's fast. It's all these things. And for that reason, look for one fault, mm-hmm. you know, use the progression. I would tell you, you know, go back, re-listen, or maybe you took some notes, but right. I'll tell it to you one more time. Deadlift, deadlift, shrug, front squat, shrug, pull under, full movement, use that progression, look for everything that Fern and I discussed along the way. And then when you get to the full movement, just, you know, focus your eyes on one body part, the hips or the knees or the butt, and then go from there. But if you're trying to see everything, you'll see nothing. So I think that really ties a bow on the medicine ball clean. I wanted to throw a challenge out. Tell me if you like this. I wanted to give one more thing though. So to, to kind of elaborate a little bit on what you were just talking about, which is, in order to be effective as a coach, and this is something that we, uh, in, our le- in our lesson plans that we're writing for affiliate programming is we started putting in there. So once you get to that, that wad portion of the workout, what are my focus points, right? I need to have predetermined things that I'm focusing on for each movement. So if, if you're coaching the med ball clean, make it very simple, two to three things per movement that I have in a workout, that those are the things that I want to hammer home, right? So if I have three movements and I have three points of performance specific to those movements. That's nine things that I'm just going to hammer to death in whatever that time frame is for the workout. So for the med ball clean, just make it simple. I want full hip and knee extension. I want the arms straight and I want people pulling underneath quickly. And the beauty of that is like, those are the transferable skills to other things. But if I walk in and th- and those are the three things that I'm walking in that I'm focusing on, all of a sudden I start coaching I start correcting a lot more rather than trying to see thing. And I know this, we're, we kind of gotten off a tangent, but this is specific to the med ball clean. Go in there with a predetermined, like, these are my objectives. And if I forfeit everything else for these three, that's okay. I'm going to get, I'm going to get hip extension or improved hip extension. I want them to do it with long arms and I want them to pull underneath the med ball. 
because I know well, that's something that people are going to mail in. And, and the truth is you can't see more than those things and your athletes don't have the bandwidth to work on more than those things. Yeah. So, so like, what are like the three you things, said, yeah, what are the three things for the movement? Like those are the only three things I'm worried about. And that is what's going to be unique to the best hour programming is that it is going to develop you and your coaching staff. You know, we get asked all the time, why should I switch to your programming? Well, one, we are the only program that's soon to be available on multiple platforms. Pretty freaking cool. Yeah. So, but again, and, and, but, it's designed about, it's designed to, it's designed for the coaches in mind. Like people are going to get fit. Like we've, I've been writing programming for 10 years. Like programming is programming. It's just like, it's going to make people fit. It's going to be classic CrossFit, but it's designed with coaches in mind, the lesson plans and stuff in there and things like this for the med ball clean. We're going to give you the focus points for that once we say three, two, one, go, because you're going to see med ball cleans in there. And then people who don't understand it will understand it after the workout. They're going to be like, I understand why we do this. It sucks. Yeah. So let's throw out a challenge. My challenge, tell me if you like it, <clears throat> 150 medicine ball cleans for time. First, disgusting. how about this? Post a video of yourself doing 150 medicine ball cleans or a picture of you in the aftermath or somewhere during it, tag best hour of their day, and we'll pick a, a winner. Doesn't matter, best time. So long as you complete it, we'll pick a winner at random and we'll send them one of our brand new Do That But Better shirts. Yeah. And then what we'll tell you is we'll watch the video and our coaching advice to you will be Do That But Better. Do That But Better. All right. So big week for us, Fern. Our First episode of Best Hour of Their Day dropping in came out earlier this week. We've got another podcast. You had Zoe on earlier in the week. Yep. Phenomenal interview with her. Yeah, it was and good. In the coming weeks, we've got John Berardi from Precision Nutrition. I've got Eric Hinman coming on. We've got Christmas Abbott. I know you've got a follow-up with Amy Hollingsworth on yep. certifications and all that good stuff. So we've got some great, you know, we were yep. scrolling through the episodes prior to recording and I was like, man, I don't think there's any CrossFit podcast that is a better guest list than us in, in 2019. I, oh, the other one's uh, Michelle Moots from HQ talking about some of the um, the underserved classes that they're running there. And then another one, uh, Tyson Oldroyd talking about um, some of the documentaries and what affiliates can do to kind of start developing better content in their boxes. So yeah, lots of good stuff coming and then more, more <clears throat> of, of us two idiots. <laughs> and Fern and I are actually going to head out to California to HQ to work with Michelle Moots. And I think that's going to be a great opportunity to bring back to the podcast what some boxes can do to really help serve that underprivileged. You know, as Coach Glassman called it, he was like the uh, overweight and out of shape community out there. Because really, if you own a box, those are the people you need to get into your box. Yeah. Uh, and then lot on the waves. Come hang out. It'll be fun. Oh, wow. We got so much going on. Yeah. Use the code best hour. Uh, we've got some great stuff. We're going to have some private classes going on on Watt on the Way, some coaching development with us. And I spoke to Connor Murphy, I think it was yesterday, and he's in charge of it. And he's just telling me how much awesome stuff is going to be going on. So whether you were on it last year or not, I would highly recommend it. And you can use the code Best Hour to lock in some private time with us. And it's kid-friendly, so bring your family. Yeah, he was just saying we're going to have some kids' classes. Somehow I got suckered into a – Helping out with that. Probably because you're as small as a child. I think that was it. I don't know if he was asking me to coach it or be a part of it. <laughs> you're going to be the demo for the kids' classes, and every, everybody's <laughs> going to be confused. It's like, why does that small boy have a beard? Mommy, do I have a beard? All right. 
That's it. We've gone off the rails. So all tune right. in all week, and we've got some great guests coming every, almost every day, really, on any podcast platform, best hour of their day. And look for the programming. If you have questions on it, email us or DM us. We'll get back to you promptly and, and show you why you need to switch your box to the best hour of their day programming. Thanks again for listening to Best Hour of Their Day. Just a reminder, Fern and I have an amazing new show called Dropping In, premiering on our YouTube channel in early 2020. Be sure to head over to the Best Hour of Their Day YouTube channel now. Subscribe so you don't miss any of the episodes. You've probably heard us talking about it, summarizing some of our trip. You can see some highlights up on our Instagram as well, at best hour of their day. But I promise you, you're not going to want to miss out. So subscribe now. Thanks for everything you do. Thanks for letting us be a part of your lives. Hope you have a great rest of your day. Tune in tomorrow for another episode of Best Hour of Their Day.